Hello and welcome to a Friday edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. I'm your host, Keon Sabani, and as usual now, uh, pretty much every Friday, Jose Perez is also here. We typically preview Real Madrid's upcoming opponents for the weekend, unless there's some kind of emergency that we have to talk about. And uh, we don't have that because deadline day for Real Madrid, pretty slow. So we're going to talk about Real Betis and we're going to run at a faster pace than usual today because we only got about 20 minutes to do this podcast. So Jose, welcome to the show. How are you? Hello, Kian, and hello, everyone. Uh, yep. Uh, ready to talk. After, like, after, I guess after in the previous in the previous two two weeks, there was definitely things that merited more analysis than the than the usual league opponent but this time it's a big one so this yeah. time it's betis and i do look forward to talking about them it's a big game betis has uh in the past few years has been a tight game for us it's not necessarily been easy and they are a formidable opponent obviously it goes without saying but in case you didn't know these are the last two remaining undefeated teams in la liga betis like real madrid are three of three their margins of victory have been a little bit uh, more narrow and tighter than Real Madrid's victories, to be sure, but they are undefeated and um, they are coming to the Bernabeu for Real Madrid's first home game of the season. So, Jose, where do you want to start with this? What do you have in your in your mind that you think we should lead with in terms of scouting Real Betis? Yeah, I think it's good to just start with how their summer went and what the expectations are right now. So, for Betis, the main thing... Uh, I would say what they what they want to do is that they are probably kind of disappointed that they did not make it to Champions League spots last season. They were in Champions League spots for a good while, but then uh, but then Sevilla and Alete and Atletico ended up making it and recovering on time. So I think that's the biggest thing that they would like to change. I think what a successful season for Betis looks like right now is doing kind of a deeper run into the Europa League, hopefully something like semifinals, and try to nap that Champions League spot that looks, frankly, with the current status of, uh, well, with Atletico, they always look like they're doing poorly, then they somehow figure out a way. Uh, but Sevilla in particular looks looks like they'll be in, in trouble this year. So that seems like a pretty good opportunity for them to finally nap that Champions League spot they are going to be looking to doing that um and uh, well and they'll have to do it mostly with the same squad that they had last year I mean if you listen to every sporting director in La Liga uh at the moment they're going to give you almost the same answer uh no hay entradas y no hay salidas in Spanish so it's there are no there are going to be no arrivals if there are no departures so the good thing about Betis is that they managed to keep all of their big talent in the team so Borja Iglesias, Canales, Fekir, Alex Moreno, many of the uh, William Carvalho many of the big names in the squad are still there but that comes at the cost stuff you cannot get anyone else even even for them getting Hector Bellerin was a problem because they couldn't quite fit him uh, within the wage limit. So, and they ended up having that situation where he ended up going to to Barcelona because of that. So, uh, that's the current state of Betis. They managed to sign uh, Luis Felipe from Lazio, a new central defender, and Luis Enrique, an interest an interesting winger from uh, uh, from Fluminense. But it's a relatively low key. Um, low-key market for them. And with the with those little reinforcements, they'll try to see if they can improve their performance a bit this year. 
Well, it's it's crazy that that's the bar for La Liga. I mean, this is not a new thing. We've been talking about it, you know, throughout this podcast, throughout the weeks. We brought up the example a few weeks ago that, you know, they couldn't dish out $10 million for Ceballos to bring him in. And meanwhile, what is $10 million to any Premier League team right now? It's literally just a drop in the bucket. It's pocket change. So this is the state of uh, La Liga we're talking about. Like you said, they did retain all the players they wanted to retain, so that's good. Um, Pellegrini talked today about... I'm going to j- jump around here. Pellegrini in the, in the pregame press conference today talked about w- his tactics a little bit. I mean, he didn't reveal anything, but he was asked about, like, okay, what's the game plan tomorrow? And he said, look, like, we are going to go into that game knowing that we are Real Betis and we play a certain way. And maybe there will be some tactical adjustments, but we're not going to really deviate much uh, apart from some adjustments. So I'm wondering if you can talk about how they have played in the first three games. And if they do make some adjustments, what do you think those adjustments will be? Yes. So it's good that we go into that because I've been doing, um, preparing kind of a longer article on Pellegrini for Between the Post, like, Something more, ta- something like, like more tactical and going more in depth into into his team for this weekend, and it's uh, like to summarize uh, what kind of coach Pellegrini is. Like he is the kind of guy who really he's almost like a. It's interesting, like a technique above tactics kind of guy. Like he's like he says it many times. It's like yeah, I think. Um, the like he's not a system manager, and he said it a, a few times that for him. The system is maybe like 10% or like when it comes to the tactics, the system doesn't matter as much as say getting your players to behave according to a specific idea or behavior. But he doesn't really obsess much about the tactical details or at least not not as much as like the system managers that have become popular nowadays, Pep Guardiola, Klopp, Tuchel, etc. So... Uh, he doesn't. So it's more uh, of kind of an Ancelotti style manager where he likes to give the team a basic structure and idea of what they have to do. And then he leaves individual player decision making and technique do the rest of the job. And then as far as that, just the other thing that uh, is very noticeable from Pellegrini is that he always has the kind of speech of like, we don't really change much what you were doing, depending on the opponent. It's very different from, say, like you, you have Unai Emery. Every time he faces a different opponent, you can see relatively big changes in the system depending on who the opponent is. Uh, for example, if he's going up against Real Madrid, he might decide, okay, we have to we have to take on Vinicius. Let's put two right backs, one at right back, one at right wing, in order to defend Vinicius. That's the kind of thing that Pele, that Pellegrini doesn't usually do. So. Uh, to be frank, I don't expect that many adjustments. Uh, so the main thing that could be concerning. So I just gave the two right back example, kind of because Pellegrini may act like he, he's a guy who normally wouldn't do this. But the problem is that after the whole transfer market thing, he they don't really have an ideal right back. So the player, uh, so the player who is there with Aito Rival, is actually a right-winger who had been kind of disappointing in the position and has been recently turned as an, to an emergency right-back 
because of the injuries that they are have. Like basically, their two right backs in the squad are injured, and now Rival has to be the the, the right back. So it does make me wonder whether there's going to be any sort of adjustment there, whether um, maybe another... It's just that at this point, what the... I'm looking at the squad. What defensive player could they put there? Ooh. Yeah, I'm not entirely I'm not entirely sure. So, but uh but that's the main thing that uh, that they need to think about, like whether they want to leave this emergency right back against Vinicius tomorrow and whether they have to do any kind of specific adjustment there because up to now, like his first three, like his his first few games this season for Betis have actually been decent from a defensive perspective. He's tracking back. Uh, he's doing a decent job marking, but uh, marking Vinicius is a whole other level. So that's what we don't know at the moment, whether he's prepared to face that. Probably not. So what you're saying is one of the key matchups in this game, as is like always the case with these previews is Vinicius versus their right back and in this case it's he's not even a right back and obviously yes yeah and obviously Montoya is injured uh the other thing for them um uh Pezeya who is uh their starting center back he's obviously I don't know if I I don't know if you mentioned him yet I don't think you did um and William Carvalho who starts in uh in their midfield is also injured and not playing this game so yeah. it'll be interesting to see what the adjustments are for sure. Yeah. So I, I like a, a solution. So they still, so Rival started as an emergency solution. Now uh, Montoya is still injured, but they still have Yusuf Sabali who, yeah, but he's, but he's a more untested option at right back. Uh, the, 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 uh, they, he could play what, what he could do. Uh, what Pellegrini could do is kind of do like an Emery kind solution of like, a double right back. You put Rival, who's a winger, who's really a winger. You put them at the right, and then you put Savali as the right back, and the, and and you can use that uh, to try to double team Vinicius. Uh, like I said, if I were a betting man, I would not bet that will happen. Like I'm assuming that Pellegrini is not going to change that, and it's going to be a similar. And it's going to be kind of a similar thing to what he's done in previous games. Like, if there are adjustments, it's going to be, uh, yeah, like certain like certain tactical tweaks or try to attack, uh, telling Juanmi to attack the the back of Real Madrid's right back more often. But I don't. I have a feeling that it's not going to be player changes apart from the ones that are injured or suspended. So going into this game in that situation. Do you prefer Mendy at left back for us or Alaba? For this one, so one of the interesting things with Betis is that I don't think they have, uh, and it's something that limits Betis in terms of in terms of attack is that they don't have a player who's a massive one versus one threat. Like I think about everyone in that squad. Juanmi, Canal, like Juanmi Canales, even Fekir, like he's of course like the Fekir of maybe seven years ago would have been a, a different thing, but the current Fekir is not that kind of explosive one v one threat. Um, so all of those players don't pose the kind of one v one threat that, in my opinion, re would require Mendy. So I don't see him as necessary for this particular game, and even like. 
especially if Betis plays uh, play, uh, plays how they usually do with say Canales more on the right, um, then what what will usually happen is that the right winger role will actually be playing more inside. So it's uh, so I'm not because that yeah, Betis has also a winger Rodri, but ooh, he but he looks a bit raw, so I. I don't think he's going to play for a, for a game of this size. So I am working under the assumption that it's going that the way they're going to line up is going to be in the double pivot. Guido Rodriguez always the always the six. This time it could be uh, the double pivot since Carvalho is not there. Could be Guardado, uh, and then up front you're going to have Juanmi on the left, Fekir roaming around everywhere, uh, nominally in the middle, and then Canales kind of on the right. Uh, and and that's kind of a narrow a narrow attacking midfield. Well, well, yeah, it is kind of narrow, really. None of them are like none of them like to start on the like to play on the wings or anything. They will usually try to move inside. So it's so defensively, it doesn't feel like that much of a challenge for Real Madrid fullbacks. Definitely not on the side uh, on the left back side. On the right back side, you just have to be careful about Juanmi because this man makes a living in that channel between right center back and right back. So he will try to make runs there. And that's, and that's one of the main threats that Real Madrid should be cautious about as well as, well, it's a, and it's a double threat because what's going to happen there is that Juanmi is going to be making the run inside in that channel between right back, uh, right back and right center back. And then, Alex Moreno, the left back, is good, who's very aggressive, very creative, is going to try to make the overlapping run. So that's really the biggest attacking threat that uh, that Betis poses, and that's the main thing that Real Madrid should be uh, concerned about. So you basically flip through what the um, starting lineup will be, essentially, kind of a four-two-three-one. Yes, Fekir roaming in the in the hole, and I. I I don't think you mentioned the man of the hour, Borja Iglesias, who has four goals already. Now, like two of them penalties, but he's been in really good form to start this season. Talk to talk to me about his threat. Like, what kind of striker is he, and um, what kind of threat does he uh, uh, possess? Yeah, or pose. Yes. Pose. That's the word I was looking for. So, Iglesias is. Actually, a, a rather complete striker. Like I wouldn't say the way I think about Borja Iglesias is not so much a guy who's like a ten out of ten in anything, but he's like a solid seven or eight out of ten in several things, and he knows when to use each one. Like he's learned, especially now that he plays at Betis, he's learned to play to have more of a link-up play to participate in possession, uh, so he can do the whole receive back to goal and then lay it off to his midfielders. Um, he He's a big guy, so uh, if you and I think that does affect that that can affect center back selection, uh, especially now. Like I like I like the fact that Ancelotti mentioned last time that he's like he was like okay, I wanted Rudiger and Militao here because this is what the opponent's attackers look like. And if we are thinking in those terms, yes, uh, fighting off Borja Iglesias with say Alaba or Nacho could be a problem. He's a big guy. He likes. He uh, uh, like, and he said it in interviews. Like he likes, he actually likes that contact with the opposition defenders. So he likes to go for the for uh for the jostles and everything. So 
it's probably it's good to defend him with uh more with more physical with more physical defenders like Rudiger Militao. That's the main thing uh that you need to be aware, that we need to be aware of. And then but then he's also even though he's not fast, uh he's also quite smart at knowing when to when to make runs. Just like a, a, a bit like Juan. Well, Juanmi is the expert there, but both of them are players who, despite not being particularly fast, are good at knowing when to make the runs. If you have defenders like Rudiger or Militao, that complicates life a lot for them because those two have like insanely good recovery speed. So even if you get outsmarted, uh, even if you outsmart those two for a second, they might catch up. So that... It, it, so defending with the, I I say this is a good game, another good game to try out Militao and Rudiger to see how it works out because those two have a pretty good recovery pace and have, and they have the strength to fight off Borja Iglesias. So it might be a good situation to try that. So I think we got all the injury news too, right? So just to flip through it really quickly or to summarize it, uh, Pezeo is not there. He's suspended. Carvalho was not in the squad list. Uh, Rui, Rui Bal, by the way, I don't know if this was mentioned. Uh, I'm just seeing it for the first time. He's actually doubtful. He was listed as yeah. doubtful, sorry, but he's in the squad. So he may not even yes. be 100%. Obviously, the, the long-term injuries to the two guys on the right, Camarasa and Montoya, those are from last season, but they're still lingering. And for Real Madrid, only Vallejo and Odriozola, and I don't think we were going to go that deep anyway. So... Uh, that's that. Uh, Jose, I, I'll hit you with some trivia, and hopefully you haven't researched this, but maybe you have, uh, before we wrap it up here. How many goals have these two teams scored in the last three matchups against each other combined? The last three games head-to-head. Let's see. I'm going to say there's at least one zero zero, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say one goal. That's correct. Three, one goal in the last three outings. So two nil nils and one Real Betis victory, one nil uh, at the Bernabeu, which I remember. That's yeah. the one I do remember because I remember how that game went down and how we lost. And it was a counterattack by Betis. So, yeah, so it's it's interesting. Like the games against Betis. So it's interesting, like these games, because I think neither Real Madrid nor Betis are particularly strong defensive teams. Uh, both of them can, well, especially Betis can be kind of come to it like vulnerable on the counter. But I think Real Madrid games with Betis don't like, don't play out that way. They like, they don't play out in that. I don't know. They let Betis have possession, then hit on the counterattack with Benito. Like that doesn't get to happen that often. I think Betis has been fairly good at slowing down the games, keeping possession and then losing the ball and then not losing the ball too close to their goal so that you get a so that you get a good counterattack so i i would also exp- expect like a rather close game this time around just one or two goals that that based on recent uh, history that that could add up um i also just want to say i made a mistake that actually the one nil was a real Madrid victory away from home um away to the Benito Villa Marin. Uh, the one I was thinking of actually was a previous 1-0 loss at the Bernabeu. And then I, now that I'm thinking about this, and I haven't thought too deeply about it, obviously, but there was also that game when Solari was in charge when he took over and we played like ultra defensive, like 
the most stereotypical Catenaccio, like Diego Simeone shithousery deep block against Betis, and we won that game as well. I have memories of that because the fan base was very upset at how the manner of how we won that game. I think that was the game where he played like some kind of 5-3-2 with like Benzema and Vinicius up front. Yeah. It was hilarious. Like, that. like and and he was trying to play those two on the counter, but yes, yeah. that I remember that I remember. Yeah. So with that being said, we're going to wrap it up here because we got a jet. Jose, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Uh, we'll chat next pleasure. week. Enjoy the game. Talk soon. Yep. And thanks for having me. And thanks, everyone, for listening. See you around.